The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. you are expectant tonight, get out your Bibles, get out your notebooks, um, and be sure that you're here tomorrow night if you can, and Wednesday night, or Tuesday night if you can. Um, tomorrow, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go back to work, your kids are going to go back to school, and there's going to be excuses that come up, or things that come up all throughout the day that give you an excuse to not show up tomorrow. I'll just stream it tonight. Don't stream it. If you, if you can be here, be here. Or, or if you have to stream it, then stream it, whatever the case may be. But just don't miss it. And, and also realize, like, tonight you probably could grab, like, McDonald's on the way here or whatever. Tomorrow you're not going to be able to do that if you're Daniel fasting. So do what you need to do, meal prep or whatever, so that you can be here. Doors open at 6. You will not want to miss the message from Pastor Jelani. And then make sure that you're here tomorrow if you can for prayer. I won't be able to be here because I'll be taking the kids to school, but I am going to set my alarm every day, have an, a, a timer go off on my phone so that at 7.30 I can be praying um, when I'm not here. If I'm, I'm able to be here, I'm going to be here, but if I can't, I'm going to be praying at 7.30. So I want to encourage you, if you can, on your way to work, on your way taking the kids to school, be praying with us at 7.30 even if you're not here uh, in the physical and I want to encourage you and invite you to, you know, as we have this extra time to pray, I want to give you something to pray about. Embrace grace. Um, you probably have heard me talk about it over the last couple of months, but we're starting our very first support group. This is for single, um, unmarried young women who are um, dealing with unexpected pregnancies. And um, I'm so excited about this because a lot of people talk about how they're pro-life or pro-life or pro-life, but really all they care about is don't get an abortion and they don't care about the mom at all. And so what this is, it's pro-love. We care about the unborn baby, but we also care about this mom. And we're going to love on her. And we're going to walk her through this. We're going to give her a baby shower and a princess day. And we already have one girl signed up. And I'm so excited. And I'm so proud of our team that has been working um, and praying, and I just want to invite you to be praying with us. In two weeks, that's happening. Be praying that there will be more girls that find out about this ministry. Um, and if you know somebody, maybe you have a coworker, and they're, they just found out their daughter's pregnant, and they don't know what to do. Anytime this comes up, if you hear of a situation like this, remember to let us know. You can email us at embracegrace at newsongpeople.com. Also, ladies, I know there's so many of, in, of you in here that have maternity clothes laying around. Um, so if you have any that are gently used, we're accepting maternity clothes donations all throughout the month of January. You'll see a box back there. Just drop it in um, when you come to church. And every time that those girls come to the group, they get to shop. We already have tons of um, baby clothes, maternity clothes. So every week they'll get to come and pick out something. So if you have stuff laying around, then bring it. All right? Okay. I know that everyone is so excited to put 2020 behind us, right? But I'm going to take you back to 2020. Just for a second. Just for a second. We're going to go back, okay, to March 24th. 2020. What were you doing? Where were you? You probably have no idea, but I remember where I was and what I was doing. And it was that day. I'm taking you back to that day because that day there was a seed that was planted in my heart that I'm about to give birth to. Okay. It all started back on this day. 
And uh, myself and about 13 other women were gathered for a time of prayer and a time of worship for one of our His via Zooms. We were meeting via Zoom because this was right at the beginning, March 24th, of the nationwide shutdown, shelter in place, quarantine, whatever you want to call it. We are all being forced to stay indoors, which is crazy because just a few weeks earlier, I was at the Chesapeake Arena with thousands of people and my two little girls at a Lauren Daigle concert. And I remember that night, I'll never forget this, the, the opener was Johnny Swim. And that night, the lead singer of Johnny Swim, he um, went out into the crowd, all these thousands of people, and he joked about how he hoped he wouldn't catch the coronavirus as he um, took a nacho from a random fan and ate it. And at that time, it was all just kind of like, oh, this is just a trending thing, and, and it'll, it'll be gone. It'll stop trending here in a couple of weeks. Little did we know that everything in our country was about to drastically change, and that we were going to be told we couldn't gather for church, that our kids weren't going back to school, that there was no MBA, and everything was just indefinite. It's still, it, it's still we, we don't know when this all will end, if it ever will all the way go away. Um, so it was just this indefinite time. So that's where we were, March 24th. And that day or that morning, um, Katie was leading us in worship, Katie Quinn. And she began to sing out this song that she told me about a couple days before. And as she told me about it, I said, why don't you sing that at our prayer meeting, in the His Via Zoom? And she said, sure. So she began to sing it, sing it out. And, and as she sang these words, I began to sing them with her over and over again, as of course with my Zoom mic on mute. Um, but as I sang, you know, through the computer, these words, whatever it looks like, Jesus, I'm all in. Whatever it looks like, Jesus, I'm all in. As I began to sing those over and over again, it, it went from just words to the cry of my heart. This was my prayer. Whatever it looks like, whatever the season looks like, none of us have any idea what we're about to head into, but whatever it looks like, I'm all in. Whatever school looks like, whatever church online looks like, whatever my future looks like, whatever following you looks like, I'm all in. That became the cry of my heart. Now, fast forward to just a couple of weeks ago, right before Christmas, I was with Katie Quinn again. We were having breakfast one morning and we talked and caught up, talked about life. And then she said, because she's the intercessory prayer team um, leader at our church. And so she asked me these questions when we get together. She said, what do you think the people of New Song are up against? Like, what are they facing? And, and what do you feel like God is saying to you about the church? And as I began to talk to her, I just heard those words rise up in my spirit again. And I said, here's what I feel like he's saying, that he's looking for a people. He's looking for a church. He's looking for a person who will say daily, whatever it looks like, Jesus, I'm all in. And as far as what do I think that people are up against, this is what I, I sensed. It, they think that they're up against the virus. They think that they're up against depression. They think that they're up against uh, financial difficulty. They think that they're up against anxiety. But really what they're up against, the thing that people are up against is their own self and their hesitancy to be all in. Whatever it looks like, I'm all in. Now, funny, because that morning that I went to breakfast with Katie, I had a big X on my calendar for that day, which means no meetings, no breakfast, no coffees, because this day, that day, was supposed to be a writing and preparing and praying and studying for this message for Blocks Conference. But it was almost as if, 
God knew I needed to have that breakfast with Katie and be asked those questions before this message was dropped into my heart. Because after I left JM that morning, I was like, that's what my message is. That was my message prep and study. This is what you want me to say to the people. This is what you want me to talk to them about. It's also interesting because I ended up writing the message a couple weeks later and I felt like God wanted me to finish a book that I was reading before I prepared for this message. And the book is one that you've probably never heard of. Um, And if you looked it up on Amazon, you'd be like, yeah, I'm not buying that, especially if you're like me and you judge a book by the cover. Um, But it's called Revival in the Hebrides. And it's a book all about a, a revival that took place in the Hebrides, which are several islands off the coast of Scotland. And this happened back in 1949. And I mean, this is true revival, true spiritual awakening that swept through these islands. The, The power and the presence of God was so thick and it just covered these islands that people were just coming into the church and crying out for mercy and generations were changed. I'm talking about things like Hundreds of students, hundreds of teenagers out dancing in a dance hall. And all of a sudden, the power of God hits this dance hall. The music goes off, and these teenagers begin to run from the dance hall like they're running from the plague. And they see lights on in the church, and they run into the church, and then begin to just cry out for mercy, and they give their lives to God. That same night, there were people that had gone to bed, you know, like got their jammies on and got under their covers, but then they felt like the Holy Spirit, the kindness of God, they couldn't explain it, drawing them to the church. So they get up, they get dressed, and they go to the church. Um, This is true spiritual awakening. Now, there wasn't any Instagram, there wasn't any posters, there wasn't any radio advertisements, but there were people praying. And as they prayed, God took the situation in hand, and he became his own publicity agent, and he began to pour out a hunger and thirst in these people for him. Now, as I, I read that book, as I finished that book, I just thought, I want that. I want to see that. I want to see spiritual awakening like that in our community, in our time. I want to see that. Do you want to see that? I hope that you do. I hope that you're not satisfied with our new building. I hope that you're not satisfied with these great and awesome worship experiences we have. I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for the building. And I'm so thankful for worship here on Sunday mornings and our amazing worship nights. But I'm not satisfied. I feel like there's so much more. I'm not talking about more people, more numbers, more campuses, more cameras. I'm talking about more of the power of God and miracles and mercy and spiritual awakening. I want that. And maybe if that hasn't been on your radar, I just want to encourage you to to read, to study about the revivals that have happened throughout history. Because as you read, it'll cause you to start thinking differently and praying differently and expecting differently and wanting more of God. So I want that, but how do we get that? Well, the revival in Hebrides, it started with two old women, an 84-year-old woman and an 82-year-old woman. One of them was completely blind. And what happened is they were um, 
just kind of appalled at the state of the church in the Hebrides because what they noticed was there was no young people in the services. Not a single young person was coming to worship, and that bothered them. So they began to pray, and as they began to pray, God gave them this burden, and he gave them this verse, I will pour water on him that's thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. So everything that started in that revival can be traced back to those two women. The burden that they got, the prayer that they that they had, they went into, and the, the promise that they had from God. So we're in this place where I truly believe that God has more for our city, that there's a spiritual awakening that that can take place in our community, in our nation, in our time. I want that. How do we get that? I think it would be easy to say, well, let's just do what they did. Let's just get some old ladies together and have them praying day and night. And and let's let's give them the burden, tell them what we're thinking, let them just pray and go for it. But I, I feel like I'm asking the Lord, how do we get that? He says, go back to March 24th. Before you can have spiritual awakening in the community like that, it has to happen in us. It has to happen in us. And in order for that to happen, we have to be asking the question, or we have to be, we have to, yeah, we have to be asking the question, am I all in? We have to get to the place where we're saying every day, whatever it looks like, I'm all in. So that's what I'm going to talk to you about tonight, because I believe that this message, this conference, this year, we're going to be laying groundwork for spiritual awakening that God wants to do in our country and our community. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, Genesis 22, and we're going to look at when God asked Abraham to go all in. And this is how cool God is, and this is how I just, I love how he put this message together for me, because I go to breakfast with Katie that day. I get the idea for the message. um, And that night, I'm putting my kids to bed. I pull out one of their devotionals. And the story that I read them is Genesis 22. And as I'm reading it, I'm just going, this is the most beautiful and solid picture of what it looks like to be all in. Thank you, God, that as I was diligent to spend time with my kids in the Word, you just dropped this message in my heart. So... Um, I'm going to read this to you tonight like I read it to them that night. Are you ready? All right, Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We'll worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. 
At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yaira, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, when I closed the devotional that day and was about to, you know, talk about the practical application of it, before I could get into it, my daughter Bo said, Mom, if God asked you to kill me, would you kill me? (laughs) Just so straight face. Would you kill me, Mom, if God asked me to kill? And I told her that Jesus no longer demanded blood sacrifices. Because of Jesus, we don't have to have a blood sacrifice. And I said... It's never going to come up, babe, and it never has. It never will. Rest assured. And I'm just telling you tonight, God will never ask you to kill your children. Got it? Got it. Okay. So when we look at this story, it's not a, it's not a folk tale. This really happened. And when we look at it, we can see so many characteristics of a person who was all in. Abraham was saying, whatever it looks like, in this case, killing his only son, whatever it looks like, I am all in. Abraham was all in. His spirit, his soul, his mind, his body, his will, his his emotions, he was all in. So we're going to look through the story tonight. I've got six points for you about what uh, the heart of an all-in person looks like. Number one, write it down. Abraham was present. He was present. We see this as soon as the story starts. Abraham, God calls. Here I am. It reminds me of roll call in school. You know, they call your name in elementary school. They're taking, checking the roll. Sarah Newsom, here. Second period. Sarah Newsom, here. Third period. Sarah Newsom, here I am. Fourth period, you get a little, a little bored, so you fancy it up a little bit. Sarah Newsom, present. I'm present. I'm here. This is what was happening with Abraham. Abraham, here I am. I am present. I am here right now. Here I am for whatever you're about to do, whatever you're about to say, whatever you're about to show me, whatever you're going to ask me to do, whatever you're going to command me to do, whatever you're about to do, here I am. Abraham was present. All in people are present people. Now, I think we can all admit that being present is something that we really struggle with. I think this generation, this day and age, we struggle with being present more than ever before. We know this. People that are right across from us, warm-bodied, flesh-and-blood people that we can see with our own eyes across the table, next to us in the bed, riding beside us in the car, we struggle to be present with them, mostly because of the hopeless little glowing screens that we carry around with us that beg for our attention all day long. The chief executive officer of Microsoft a couple of years ago, Satya Nadella, she was quoted saying this, the true scarce commodity of the near future, now realize she said this a couple years ago, so this is now, the true scarce commodity or the thing that will be the hardest to come by in the near future, she said, will be human attention. 
I believe we're living in those days. The most precious thing, the thing that's hardest to come by is our ability to focus, our ability to not be distracted, our ability to be present. We have to push against this distracted culture that we live in. Somebody needs to hear this today. Jesus came to set the captives free, and yet you are being held by captive by this little rectangle that you carry around in your pocket. It has you. It has you captive. When you can easily walk away from it, when you can put it away, when you can take the abs off of it that are causing you to not be present with the people that you love in your life, you don't have to be held captive by your phone any longer. Jesus came to set the captives free. But our phones and our devices and technology, that's not the only thing that keeps us from being present. It could be the project that you have going on at work that you can't seem to leave at the office. Or maybe it's family drama or everything that's going on with the news and you're trying to listen and, and engage with your kids, but then you see something going on in the news that draws you away. Whatever it is, we struggle with being present with the people that are right there. So how much more are we going to struggle with being present with our ever-present God that we cannot see? He's not there. I mean, he's there, but we can't see him. So we're going to struggle. We have to. We have to put some disciplines in place, some disciplines that help us to be able to confidently say, here I am. I am present. Ever-present God, you want to meet with me? Here I am. I am present. And some of the disciplines, I'll just name a few tonight. One of them is fasting, which is great news for you because tomorrow we start a 21-day church-wide Daniel fast. And fasting is amazing. Fasting is like you're putting your flesh in silent mode. Do not disturb. My flesh is on silent. Do not disturb me, flesh. Do not even vibrate because I am here. Here I am. I want to hear from you. Whatever you have to say, whatever you're going to do, whatever you want to show me, here I am. Fasting helps you to get into that place where you are fully present. Whatever it looks like. Maybe you're looking at the Daniel fast and you're going, it looks like there's no cheese. <laughs> whatever it looks like, Jesus, I'm all in. Oh, it looks like there's no coffee. Whatever it looks like, I'm all in. Oh, you guys didn't like that one. It looks like there's no sugar. Whatever it looks like, I'm all in. I'm going to do whatever it takes to shut my flesh up so I can be truly present with you. Another discipline that will help us be present is practicing stillness. Stillness and moving at an intentionally slower pace. Japanese theologian Kosoku, wait, Kosuke, Kosuke Koyama, he wrote a book titled Three Mile an Hour God. And the idea of this book is that if you want to connect with God, if you want to be present with God, it would be wise if you moved at a three mile per hour pace. And he gets this from um, the, the fact that humans on average, walk at three miles per hour. And if we're created in the image of God, then he says God moves at about three miles per hour. N.T. Wright kind of says the same thing. He says it's only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. We need to slow down. We need to slow down. We need to move at an intentionally slower pace. I imagine that Abraham was on a three mile per hour walk without his phone on, his phone on silent, his phone on do not disturb when God called out to him, Abraham. And he was able to genuinely say, here I am. I'm present. 
Do what you want to do. Say what you want to say. I want you to think for just a moment about your day-to-day. How many moments in your day, every day, can you say, here I am, and really mean it? I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Netflix. I am not looking for something to watch on Netflix. I am not working. I am not reading. I am not teaching my kids. I am not doing the dishes. I am not distracted. How many times can you say, I am here, here I am? All in people are present. And the amazing thing about this is that he is ever present. So when you make time to be present, he's already there waiting for you. The next thing that we notice about Abraham is that he was punctual. Abraham was punctual. Yes, all of my points are going to start with P tonight. Abraham was punctual. Look at verse 3. It says, the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering. And he set out for the place that God had told him about. He set out for Moriah. Abraham had just been asked to do the unthinkable, to sacrifice his son, the son that he loved so much, it says. And upon hearing this, he didn't say, um, I need to pray about this first. I need somebody to come and confirm this word for me. I need to talk to the missus and make sure she's okay that I'm out of town for three days this week. I need to check the farmer's almanac and make sure that the weather is going to be agreeable for this mission, this three-day missions. He didn't do that because he knew that time was of the essence. He was punctual. Josh and I went to go see a movie last week. And in the pre-service or the pre-movie entertainment, because Josh always likes to get to movies early, 15 minutes early. So we're watching the Nuvie pre-movie entertainment, and they're talking about this app that they want you to download. It's the Nuvie Movie Trivia app. And at the end of the commercial, they say, get the app, and um, you can play the app and do trivia, movie trivia, all day, every day, hours on end, because we all know that time is irrelevant these days. Because time is irrelevant these days. Now, I know that the writers were just trying to be humorous. And I have said things during coronavirus, like bedtime for my kids is irrelevant these days because it kind of has been with school and the crazy schedules. But time as a whole is irrelevant these days. That didn't sit well with my spirit. And here's the thing. It's sad because I, I see people living as if this were true more in 2020 than any other year that I've ever seen people live like this before. They're wasting time. They're hitting the snooze button on what God is calling them to do because time is irrelevant. I'll get to it. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Time doesn't matter right now. Everybody's working from home, different hours. My schedule's all turned upside down. We're all going with the flow. We're all flying by the seat of our pants. Time is irrelevant, but that's not what God says. That's not what his word says. Abraham knew that time was of the essence. He didn't waste time. It didn't say that he just woke up at his normal time. It says he woke up early. If he was going to wake up at 7 a.m., he set his alarm for 5 a.m. because he wanted to obey God and he wanted to be punctual about it. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Look at this. This is so good. This is for us. It says, therefore, see that you walk carefully living life with honor, purpose, and courage, shunning those who tolerate and enable evil, not as the unwise, but as wise, sensible, intelligent, discerning people, making the very most of your time. 
on earth, recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence because the days are filled with evil. Listen, the days are filled with evil that we're living in right now. But this verse doesn't say the days are filled with evil, so time's irrelevant. It says the days are filled with evil, so you better be redeeming your time wisely. You better be taking advantage of every opportunity. All in people are punctual people. Do your day-to-day habits reflect a heart that says, whatever it looks like, I'm all in. And I know we hear stories like this, and we think, well, if God were to talk to me like he talked to Abraham in this audible voice, and I was to wake up tomorrow and say, here I am, and he says, I need you to go to the corner of Canal and Bowery, and I need you to meet a person there. Um, They're going to be wearing a red shirt, and I want you to invite that person to Block's conference tomorrow night. You'd be like, oh, I would be so all over it. I wouldn't wait. I wouldn't delay. I would do it, but he doesn't talk to me like that, so I don't know how to apply this to my life. Here's how you apply it to your life. You get out your Bible, and you open it up, and you say, I am here, and your coordinates, and your assignment, and your Mariah are going to be in the pages of Scripture. He will say to you, love your neighbor, and you be punctual with loving your neighbor. He'll say to you, take up your cross and follow after me, and you be punctual with taking up your cross and following after him. He'll say to you, put on the armor of God. He'll say to you, come boldly to the throne today, where you can ask for grace and mercy. That's where you find your coordinates. That's where you find your assignments. And when you find your assignments, be punctual. Don't delay. Don't keep hitting the snooze thinking that you can just waste time. Be punctual. This is what it looks like to be all in. Abraham was present. He was punctual. Number three, Abraham was prepared. He was prepared. After journeying for three days, Abraham saw his destination in the distance. And then look at this in verse six. It says, so Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them walked on together. Okay, Abraham, when God asked him to do this, he didn't just take off right away and hope that God was going to drop wood and fire and rope, etc., in his lap as he walked along. He gathered the things that he needed in the natural to do what God had asked him to do. So when you get your commands in scripture, love your neighbor, and then you find out that your your neighbor is sick and they're quarantining for two weeks, you can't head to their house and hope that on the way, a lasagna and groceries are going to just fall in your lap. You got to go to the grocery store. You got to do the stuff in the natural, buy the groceries or or get the groceries delivered. You got to order them online. You got to make the lasagna. You got to get the card. You got to write in the card, neighbor, we heard that you were sick. We're praying for you. Let us know if there's anything else that we can do to help. You got to do the stuff in the natural and quit walking along thinking that God's just going to drop everything in your lap. When God told us to start Embrace Grace, we couldn't just start it the next day. We had to do some preparing. We knew that he said to start it, so we said, yes, we're going to obey. We're going to be punctual about this, and we started to put the plan into place. We had to recruit leaders. We had to have meetings. We have to start collecting maternity clothes. We have to study the curriculum. We have to do some advertising. We have to build some websites, get the word out there. We have to do what we know to do in the natural, and then we have to believe that God's going to show up and do the supernatural. Uh, I want you to see here what Abraham carried on his person. I love this. He himself carried the fire and he carried the knife. 
Now, I know that these are practical things. He can't do the sacrifice without them. But I also, as I was reading this, I think there's some super or some spiritual significance to these two items, the knife and the fire. Okay, he carried the fire. Fire in scripture, it represents the presence of God. It represents the power of God. It represents the purity of God. It represents the Holy Spirit. So he was carrying with him the spirit of God up that mountain. All in people carry the fire. Are you carrying the fire with you in your day-to-day? When you go to your Mount Moriah, when you go to do what he's called you to do, when he's given you your coordinates, are you doing it with the power of the Holy Spirit? Because you can bring the lasagna and you can host the group, but if the Holy Spirit is not animating your personality, all of the preparation that you've done in the natural will not be worth much. We have to carry the fire. The second thing that he carried was a knife. And a knife, it symbolizes severance. All in people carry a knife, a sharp knife, ready to sever anything that's keeping God from having all of them. We're going to talk about that more in just a second. Number four, Abraham was positive. Abraham was present. He was punctual. He was prepared, and he was positive. Look at this in verse seven. It says, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood. The boy said, but where's the sheep? for the burnt offering. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. Now, there's a lot of stuff out there uh, about the power of positivity. And I'm not knocking that. Positive people are great. We all love those people who can see the silver lining on every cloud. Positive people are awesome. But Abraham was not just like a happy-go-lucky, half a glass-half-full kind of positive person. He was positive that he could trust God. He was positive that God was not a liar. He was positive that God is able. He was positive that God was going to provide a sheep. He hadn't seen a sheep, didn't know how it was going to get there. He was positive that he was going to provide a sheep or that when the sheep wasn't there, if he was going to kill his son, he was positive that God was going to raise him from the dead. Now think about this. God had never, he'd never done that before. He'd never raised anyone else from the dead. So Abraham had to be positive without a precedent. He was that positive. He trusted God. Listen, if you're not all in, Every day, if you find yourself, you're not all in. Maybe you're like on the third verse of the hokey pokey. You've got your right arm in and your left arm in and your right leg in, but you haven't put your whole self in. Or maybe you keep putting your whole self in, but then you keep putting your whole self back out. It's because you're not positive. You're not positive. I don't know why something that's happened in your past, your circumstances, but you're not positive that you can trust God. You're not positive that he's able. You're not positive that he'd do it for you. You're not positive that he could love you, unholy you, this holy, holy God. You're not positive that he could love you. We got to get positive. And as I asked the Holy Spirit, like, how do they get positive? How do I help them to get positive? Maybe we should have the band come up and we should sing, you're never going to let, you're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. Maybe I should read them a bunch of scriptures about how they need to trust God. Maybe I could tell them how he's never let me down. And he said, no, I want you to show them Mark 9, 22 through 24 and have them make this their prayer. This is a father And he's asking Jesus to heal his demon-possessed son. And he says, have mercy on us and help us if 
you can. The father wasn't positive. If you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. I don't think he said this snotty. I don't think Jesus was like, what do you mean, if I can? I think he said it, I think he said it from a place of, he was sad that they didn't trust. What do you, what do you mean, if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. And the father, the father instantly cried out, this is for you if you're having trouble. If you're not positive, this is for you. He says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I am positive, but help me be more positive. I do trust you, God, but help me trust you more. I trust you in this area, but I'm not all the way there. Help me to trust you more. I do believe. I do. I know I do, but help me trust you more. This is important. Ask for help. Ask Jesus to help you. Pray this prayer, because if you aren't positive, that he says that he is who he says he is. And if you aren't positive that you are who he says that you are, then you won't be all in. We have to be positive. Abraham was present. He was punctual, prepared, positive. And number five, Abraham was presenting. He was presenting. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and he arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. All in. Whatever it looks like, Abraham was all in. In this case, it looked like his son, the son that he believed for, that he fought for. It looked like his son tied up, his son sweating his son crying. It looked like his wife's face flashing before his eyes when he had to tell her what happened. It looked like people thinking he was crazy. It looked like suffering. It looked like devastation. But whatever it looked like, Abraham was all in. He was there. He was presenting his son as a sacrifice to God. All in people are presenting people. Now, this is where a lot of people get stuck. The first couple of points are like, yeah, I like that. I'm going to be present. I'm going to do my quiet time this week. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be punctual. Whatever God shows me in my quiet time, I'm going to do it that day. I'm going to be, I'm going to be um, prepared. I'm going to carry the Holy Spirit. I love the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be positive. I'm positive this year that God wants to bless me. I'm positive that he has things in store for my family. I'm positive that he loves me. But then it's here. When it gets to the presenting part, this is what keeps people who are so close for, from, to being all in. You're so close to being all in, but this is what keeps you from going all the way in. It's this presenting part. This is what happened in the, the rich young ruler. He was so close, but he wasn't here. He wasn't somebody who was presenting. Remember the knife that we talked about? that Abraham carried. He carried the fire and he carried the knife. We see Abraham pick up that knife to kill Isaac. He was ready to sever. He was ready to sever whatever God asked him to sever. He was ready to show God that I'll pass this test. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. I will sever anything that separates me from you. I will sever anything that keeps you from having all of me. This is what an all-in life looks like. Jesus said so himself. 
in Luke 14, it says that great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. David Guzik says Jesus uses the word hate here. That is a strong word. The God of love to say that we have to hate our brothers and sisters and our mom and our dad and even our own selves. Why is he saying this? He had to show how great the difference must be between our allegiance to Jesus and our allegiance to everything else. Hate was the only word that could show how great the distance must be. Then he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The crowd that was listening to Jesus, they were familiar with crosses and crucifixion. And they knew that carrying a cross always, 100% of the time, always led to death. They knew that this was a one-way journey. If he took up his cross, he was not coming back. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he wrote, when Jesus calls a man, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When he called the first disciples, he said, come and follow me. Die to yourselves. Die to your occupation. Die to your home. Die to your past. Come and follow me. Come and die. I believe that's what Jesus is calling us to do. In 2021, he's saying, come all in. Come and follow me. Come and die. I know it's not a popular theme in Christianity to talk about coming and dying, to die to self. You know, we have these songs that are like, live, live, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. But there's no songs that are like, die, die, take up your cross and follow me. It just, it's not the same. But... This is what Jesus is asking us to do, to come and die. Because the only way that we'll live, that we'll live, that our dry bones will, the only way that we can do what it's all about, Jesus came to have life so that we may have life and have it more abundantly, but we're not gonna get to that abundant life if we don't die daily. We have to die to ourself daily. We need to die to our way. We have to die to our desires. We have to die to our will. We have to die to our attachment to this world. We have to die uh, to, to those good things that are keeping God from having all of us. We have to die to our pride. We have to die to our comfort. We have to die to our self-reliance, to our self-sufficiency, to our self-centeredness, our self-absorption. We have to die to control. We have to die to selfish prayer. He's saying to us tonight, come and die. This is a funeral, wearing all black tonight, because I want you to, to die to your flesh tonight. Abraham was presenting. All in people are presenting people. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, brethren, Paul writes, I beg, I beg of you in view of all the mercies of God, in view of the cross, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, of your whole self, your mind, your will, your emotions, your whole self, mind, body, spirit, soul, strength, your whole self, make a decisive dedication, presenting, 
not presented, not one time, presenting, I-N-G, over and over again, presenting all of your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. This is your spiritual worship. We do this in view of the cross. I want you to understand something, that dying to self doesn't reconcile you to God. The only person that could reconcile you to God was Jesus, and he did that on the cross. That's been done. You are reconciled to God. You are a new creation in Christ. We don't do this to get more mercy, to earn more favor, to earn our salvation. We die daily to self in view of the cross because he went to the cross for us. We do this as a response. We do this as worship. This is our spiritual act of worship. When, when God called Josh and I here to start this church, one of the mandates, one of the things that he called us to this city for was to create worshipers. That's one of our pillars, to create worshipers. And while I am so proud of our worship team, and while I am so proud of all of you, and while I love the Sunday morning worship culture that we have here, and what we just experienced was amazing. Worship is not just 23 minutes on a Sunday morning. This doesn't say in view of the cross, get together and worship and and play music. and, and, And it says in view of the cross, offer yourself, your whole self as a living sacrifice. So I know that that this year, when we think about creating worshipers, we're not thinking about what's going on up here with the band, with the, with the singers. We're not thinking about that. We're thinking about what's going on in your homes seven days a week. We're thinking about how we want to get you to a place where you are dying to yourself, where you are saying, God, I'm following after you. Come and die. I'm ready to do that. This is my spiritual act of worship. George Mueller, he's known for his great faith and ministry to orphans in England during the 19th century. And somebody asked him, what's the secret of your fruitful service of the Lord? How has your ministry been so impactful for the kingdom of God? And he said, there was a day when I died. I utterly died. I died to George Mueller, his opinions, his preferences, his taste, his will. I died to the approval or the blame even of my brothers, of my friends. And since then, I've studied only to show myself approved to God. And 365 days from now, I want people to be asking, how has your church, how has your life, how are you producing so much fruit for the kingdom? How are you making such an impact in the kingdom? And I wanna be able to say at Block's conference, we chose to come and die. We died to ourselves and we decided to go all in with Jesus. I truly believe this, that if we have a church full of people who can say in all honestly, like Paul, it's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. It's not Sarah who lives because I die daily to Sarah, but Christ who lives in me. It's not Josh who lives, but it's Christ who lives in him. It's not Logan who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's not Bethany that lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. If we can get to that place, then we will start to see people coming to the church, giving their lives to God, crying out for mercy. We will see the spiritual awakening that we say that we want to see. 
If we really want to see the spiritual awakening, we're not just saying, yeah, that would be really cool. But if we really want it, then we will die daily to self. We will be a people who is all in. Number six, God is provider. Genesis 22. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You've not withheld from me even your son, your only son. You were willing to pick up that knife and do the severing. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh, Yahweh Yaira, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. When we make a decision to follow God, to come and die, when God sees that we have not withheld anything from him that keeps him from having all of us, he will provide for you beyond anything that you could ask, think, or imagine. When you say, I'm going to sever my will. He says, I'm going to provide to you my good and pleasing, perfect will. When you say, I'm going to sever my desires, he says, I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. I'm going to fill your desires, your heart with my desires, and then I'm going to give them to you. When you say, I'm going to sever doubt, I'm going to sever, sever self-reliance, he says, I'm going to give you peace, my peace, the peace of Jesus. When we sever selfishness, he's going to provide you with a heart for people. Whatever you sever, when you sever your lust, your sin, your addiction, whenever you sever that, he's going to provide you with freedom. Jesus, the Lord God is our provider. Yahweh, Yaira, the Lord will provide. Whatever it looks like, are you all in. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.